Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadscco.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. How many of you stayed up till midnight on New Year's Eve? Okay, I did not do that. I've been giving that up progressively. I've seen the ball drop enough. I've seen it once. I don't know how many more times you need to see that. There's a story of a little boy, and he had not stayed up till midnight. And so the parents were going to give him the opportunity one night to do that. And so they put him to bed. It was close to midnight. And he was there sitting in his bed, and he's waiting for the midnight to strike, and he's next to this big grandfather clock that's in the hallway. And he begins to hear the thing bong, 9, 10, 11, 12, but the thing hadn't been wound recently, it was out of whack, and it went to 13 and 14. And the boy sat straight up, and he got out of bed and said to his parents, Wake up, wake up, it's later than it's ever been. Do you ever feel that way when you look at world and national events? It's later than it's ever been. The clock of God's timetable and prophecy is winding down. You look at recent events in Iran as how the drone strikes had killed that major general Soleimani in Iran, and you look at this escalating tensions in the Middle East, and you wonder what's next for a nation that so deeply hates the United States of America. I was with a couple of our outpost leaders. We were with some people in the harvest field in Richmond this past week just getting to know them and now finally opening up the Word of God and introducing them to Jesus. These are people who do not know Jesus. These are people who do not know the Bible. But there was a general agreement that within our communities and in our societies, the moral fabric of what holds us together is more fracturing and falling apart. And all of them are in agreement, and everybody I talk to says that technologically we are smarter, but morally and spiritually we are becoming more dumb. And it's not a good sign. And you wonder what's going on. And when you look into the Scriptures, and you look at events today, I want to shine the light on what is for me one of the most important topics of understanding, of doctrinal uh, clarification that helps us to understand that the sky is not falling, but in fact that heaven is in control. And that as the clock of prophecy is winding down, that we are in the center of God's will, that we are in the unfolding of His story, and that we are in one of the most exciting times ever to be alive. And one of the things that we look at is what Romans 11 talks about is the nation of Israel. The Bible says that when you look at the country of Israel, it is the center of the nations 
according to God's timetable and God's prophetic clock. That when you look at the nation of Israel and you see its reestablishment and you see what God is doing and has done, it shows us the center of what God is doing, where he is leading us, and how it is we need to be ready as followers of Jesus and as a church. And it strengthens our faith in the present. It strengthens our hope in the future. And it affirms to us that the sky is not falling, but in fact, heaven is in control. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11, as we continue on this journey of talking about the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 11. Now we've been in the last several weeks through chapters 9, now last week 10, and then now 11. We've said that as Paul goes through Romans in these three chapters, he's dealing with the sticky issue of what about the Jews? At that time in the first century, as Romans was written in about 60 AD or thereabout, the majority of Jews has rejected Jesus as the Messiah. There were some Jews and Romans, and they were wondering what happened with God's plan for Israel. They were his people. The Messiah came to them, and they by and large have rejected him. And so what's going on? Did God's plan fail? Because the Jews are central to God's purposes. So if God's plan failed for them, will God's plan work for us? Is God faithful to his promises? And so Paul in chapter 9 talks about Israel's past. In chapter 10, he talks about Israel's present. But in chapter 11, he talks about the future of Israel. And it puts a smack dab right in the middle of the issue of biblical prophecy or what is yet to occur. Now, folks, how many of you are interested in what is yet to occur? And as I look in the world today, I find so many people wondering, what is going on? What's going to happen? So we come to chapter 11, verse 1. And Paul says, I ask then, did God reject his people, the Jews? And Paul emphatically and clearly and in as much strength as he can say, by no means. He puts this in the strongest terms of it. He says, I am an Israelite. I am a Jew, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't reject his people. Now, let's do a little bit of review of what we've talked about the last few weeks. What about the nation of Israel? Why are they important? Who are they? Well, God came to this man. His name was Abraham and he said, from you will come a great nation, and through this nation, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Old Testament is about the history of God's story and work, mainly with this particular nation. And he took this nation and he told them, you're going to follow me. You're the weakest, you're the poorest, you're the most pathetic of all the nations, but you will follow me. And as you follow me, I will bless you and I will showcase who I am through your obedience to me. And through you, all of the nations will understand what it means to know God and to follow God. And as they continued as a nation, they got to the height of their glory and their their power under King David and then <clears throat> Solomon. 
And all of the nations were paying attention, but then it began to descend from there because in their pride and in their power, they abandoned God. They took God for granted. And about three-fifths of the Old Testament is a story of how God through the prophets, is calling the nation of Israel for about 500 years to return back to him, but by and large they did not. God is pleading and giving grace and giving grace upon grace. And it finally comes to the hardest, the most difficult point. Jesus comes. He is rejected as the Messiah. And you come shortly before Jesus was about to go to the cross. And the disciples were with Jesus and they were by the temple in Jerusalem. And they were amazed at the temple because it had been so lavishly rebuilt and developed. And they were marveling at the incredible architectural structure and achievement that had been developed. And Jesus looks at them, and if we could see by way of the screen in Matthew 24, verse 2. He says, do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, as you're looking at this temple, not one stone will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. And Jesus is making to the Jewish people, his followers at that point, the most astounding statement because the temple was the very place that housed the glory and the presence of God. It was the most sacred place. And Jesus is saying that it's going to be torn down and what one brick will be left upon another. And then about 40 years after that, that prophecy was filled with jaw-dropping accuracy. The Romans had come in, they had ransacked Jerusalem, they had taken it over, and they had literally taken one stone apart from another because King Herod, when he had rebuilt the temple, had layered some gold in between the stones to just show his power and his extravagance of glory. Now the Jewish people have lost their most holy city, In 70 A.D., 40 years after Jesus' resurrection. And then it would be in 135 A.D. for the Jews that were living in the nation of Israel, the few that had survived, an emperor named Titus came in and he removed every single Jew from their most holy land. And so from that point, the Jewish nation is completely destroyed. And now the Jewish people are dispersed to the four corners of the world. But something miraculous was happening. In that process of the Jewish dispersion that has never been happened, that has never happened before, that though they did not have a land, though they did not have their own government, though they did not have their own territory, they maintained their ethnic, their cultural, and their religious identity for 1,900 years. And so they've been dispersed. And they've been known as Jews. And so whenever a nation, ever a country has been destroyed, they simply go to the waste bin of history in terms of their national identity. You don't look at somebody and say, oh, that's, uh, that's so-and-so, they're a Hittite, or that's so-and-so, they're an Edomite, or they're a Goth. If that nation is destroyed, they simply become immersed into the larger culture. 
but the Jews somehow, someway, held their ethnic, their national, and their cultural heritage. And then 1,900 years later, they did that which one professor told me was sociologically impossible. They reestablished themselves as a nation. And they did that in 1948. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so huge when it comes to understanding God's story within the Scripture? Well, you have to understand that God came to Abraham and he gave him a promise, a covenant. And it was a covenant, it was a binding agreement that would be eternal and forever where God said that your people will be my people forever. Look by way of the screen. About 2000 B.C., 4,000 years ago, God comes to Abraham and he says this, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and to be the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, that is today Palestine or Israel, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. How long would the Jews be God's people, and how long would he give them the land of Canaan? How long does it say? An everlasting possession. A long time. A thousand years later, God comes to King David. He says this, if we could see it by way of the screen. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, which is the son of Abraham, and he confirmed to Jacob, which is the son of Isaac, as a decree to Israel as an everlasting covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan as your portion you will inherit. Again, that is reaffirmed. It's 400 years later with Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 66, 22, by way of the screen. It says, As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure forever. Can you see why this is a big deal to the early church in Romans? If these promises are true, why did the Jews reject the Messiah if they were to be his people forever. So in chapter 11, Paul goes on and he gives us a couple of answers to that. And then it segues into the issue of prophecy and what's occurring within our world today. So if you're in a note-writing mood, the first answer to this question of what about the Jews that Paul gives is this. The setting aside of Israel is partial and not complete. The setting aside of Israel is partial and not complete. Chapter 11, moving down to verse 2. It says, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and have torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are still trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant or a small group 
It's what remnant means, chosen by grace. Paul says this is par for course. You look at the nation of Israel, even when they were a nation, there were sometimes like in the days of Elijah, where there were only a few who were faithful to God. So just because there's only a few that follow the Messiah, this is par for course. This is nothing really quite different than what was seen in the Old Testament anyway. But the second answer Paul gives, and this links us to the issue of our day, is that the setting aside of Israel is temporary, not permanent. The setting us out of Israel is temporary, not permanent. Let's fast forward or speed bump down to verse 25 and we get to the punchline of Paul's teaching. Verse 25, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has an experienced a hardening the Greek word there for hardening is linked to our word uh, where we have the hardening of the heart. Hardening in, a part, in part until the full number of Gentiles comes in. So what does this mean, the full number of the Gentiles? A hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles have come in. By the time that the book of Romans was written, It was apparent that God's plan of salvation, his moving of the kingdom was occurring mainly now through Gentiles who were non-Jews. And there's a number, there's a a number that God has in mind of the number of Gentiles, non-Jews, who need to come to faith, who need to come to salvation, who need to embrace Jesus as Savior. And it started with Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10, who was the first Gentile to embrace Jesus. And ever since then, as people have been coming to Jesus, non-Jews, God's plan, His kingdom has been expanding. And there is a particular number that when that number is reached of Gentiles who have embraced Jesus, the full number has come in and only God knows what that number is, then God's plan in his history of salvation will focus once again primarily through the Jews. Now folks, what that means is that if we want to speed up God's timetable, if we are concerned about the events that are unfolding today, the way that we do that is not focusing on the headlines of the news, but rather the harvest field of souls who need to know Jesus. And the more that we are leading and the more that we are bringing people into a relationship with Jesus, the more we are fulfilling what it says here in verse 25, bringing in the full number of the Gentiles to come in. And when that happens, according to my belief, the church will be raptured. They will be brought up to meet Jesus as it talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4. And that will kick in a seven-year tribulation. And at that point, 144,000 Jewish people who will be like 144,000 Apostle Pauls will go throughout the earth and they will bring a wave of evangelism like has never been seen. So if we could see the, the chart by way of the screen... They kind of put a more of a visual on this. You can see right there the cross that represents Jesus. His death, his burial, resurrection, the gospel. 
And now you're in the age of the church, the church age, that's what we're in, where we're bringing in the full number of the Gentiles. Then the rapture will occur according to how I read the Bible, and you disagree with that, no big deal. And then as the rapture occurs, then there will be a seven-year tribulation, and then God's plan will go primarily to the Jews. And 144,000 evangelists like the Apostle Paul will go throughout the world, bringing an incredible harvest of salvation. And then when Jesus returns, the nation of Israel as a whole will embrace him as the Messiah at the end of those seven years, thus kicking in the thousand-year reign of Christ. So verse 26, Paul says, And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. At the end of all of this, the Jewish people will embrace Jesus as the Messiah. So, what about what we're learning this morning? How in the world does this translate to Monday? How do you take the things that we're learning today and how do you translate them or put some shoe leather on them for the, for the days that are ahead? Well, let me give you a couple of encouragements. Number one is this, value God's promises. Value God's promises. Madeline Murray O'Hara, if you remember her, the famous atheist, She was the one who was spearheaded taking prayer out of school, all that kind of stuff. And she would often say that I no longer, I I, I no more believe that Jesus is going to return than I believe a green green man is going to come from Mars. And she would kind of make fun of all of that. But do you realize that for all of this prophecy to be fulfilled, Christians, even Jews, for 1,900 years, have believed that the Jewish people would return back to their homeland. Because in order for the Jews to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, they have to be reestablished as a nation again and return into a homeland. And for them to do that and to be dispersed throughout the world, to be the most persecuted people upon the earth, for the last several centuries and to return as a nation again would be a miracle of epic proportions on the level and scale of anything we've seen within Scripture. And Christians have believed it because it's in the Bible. And guess what? It actually happened, didn't it? And when we have seen this happen and this unfold, it's a testimony to us that God's plans, His promises are actually faithful in being fulfilled. And as God has established His plan with Israel, so we can trust His plan with the events that are to occur beyond that. How did all this happen? Well, it started, and let me give you a brief history. After World War I, when the Britons or the English nation had won. They made Palestine, the biblical land of Canaan, one of their territories, one of their colonies. And it was there in 1917 that they declared the Balfour Declaration. And in declaring that, they allowed Jews to start to immigrate back in 1917 
to go back to their homeland. Let me show you a video. It's a reenactment of David Ben-Gurion, who was the key leader and the founder of the nation of Israel, if you were, during this time as he's before an English panel at the Peel Commission. And this occurs in the 1930s as he's making the case for the reestablishment of Israel. Can we see the video, please? We could see the next slide, 1917. <clears throat> you can see the progression. 25,000 Jewish people come into the nation of Israel, and it comes down to 1945. There were 500,000 Jews in the nation of Palestine at that point. And when they declared to be a nation in 1948, it was backed up by the United Nations, America, as well as Russia, on May 16, 1948, they were attacked by Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. They were outnumbered 40 million to 500,000. That is 80 to 1 in terms of population. Not exactly a fair fight, is it? I don't care if you're Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. If you've got 80 people against you, you're going to lose. And bear in mind that they didn't have a military installations. They were immigrants who were just surviving on an agricultural lifestyle. And in a period of three weeks against this Arab confederation, they had defended their right to be there in the land of Palestine, holding it as a nation. Isaiah 66, verse 8, by way of the screen. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this. Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. And in one single day, May 16, 1948, she became a nation. For 19 years, she was out without her heart. She did not have Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a territory known by the nation of Jordan. 
And it was in 1967 that Egypt, Jordan, and Syria decided to attack Israel, and they determined to take the blue Mediterranean Sea and to turn it red with blood, with the blood of the Jewish people. And they were getting ready to attack, and the Jews heard word of this, and they launched a preemptive strike on Egypt's military, thus decimating their air force. And thus ensued the six-day war. And in that war, the Arab, the Arab armies had lost 15,000 people, men. But guess how many Jews had died? 338. And there they reclaimed the city and the part of, of, of Jerusalem. Moshe Dayan, the famed war general, says, We have returned to our holiest of holy places, never to leave again. In 1973, they were attacked during their Yom Kippur, their Day of Atonement. They were outnumbered by way of tanks, ten to one, but again, they defended their right as a nation and took more territory. And you look at Israel today, They are an envy of the world in terms of their agricultural production, their vegetation. Their economy is growing twice as fast of most any country in the developed world. They have a high-tech industry that is developing that is comparable to our own Silicon Valley. They have a constitutional law and democracy that gives equality to men and women. When you look at their second prime minister, it was Gota Meir, who was a woman. You ask the question, why does Israel make the news ten times consistently more than any other country, more than any other issue, more than any other problem that goes on in the world? The answer is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And Isaiah says this, And that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time and reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. And he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel, and he will assemble the scattered of people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. When you look at the nation of Israel, God has raised up a banner. And he says, I'm in control. And the sky is not falling, but rather that heaven is in control. And watch what I'm going to do. I remember when I was on long trips with my kids when they were younger. We were on a long trip and they would always ask the question as our kids are prone to do when they're on those long and boring trips, how much longer before we get there? How much longer, Dad, before we get there? And I'd say, well, a couple of hours maybe. And then guess what? Five minutes later, they would ask the question, how much longer till we get there? Well, you asked it five minutes ago. It's about two hours. And then they would ask it another five or whatever minutes later. And I basically realized that I really couldn't give them a time frame. I just had to give them the answer. We're closer than we've ever been. And when you look at the nation of Israel and how God has reestablished it, fulfilling his promises, folks, I'm not on the planning committee, I'm on the welcoming committee. 
I don't know how much longer it is. I don't know what's going to be happening in the next year or two years or anything like that. I don't have that figured out. I'm not on the welcoming, I'm not on the planning committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. But I do know that the sky is not falling, but rather that heaven is in control. And that is, we're out there making disciples, we're out there in the harvest field, bringing in what the Bible calls the full number of Gentiles. We are being faithful, we are part of God's plan, doing what he's called us to do. And that leads to a second encouragement, and that is this, value God's plan. Value God's plan. I can look at the nation of Israel, and I can see living proof that God keeps his promises. Things are going according to his book. God is working out his salvation, and we are in his story, whether we're in this zip code or it's going on across the nations and being spread. And I want to ask the question, how many of you long for the good old days? You long for the days that were better than what they are today. You long for the days where you could push somebody into a pool and you didn't have to worry whether they had their phone on them and they were going to lose all their information. You long for the good old days when passing notes was a form of texting. You long for the good old days when Apple was just a piece of fruit and not a whole technology company. Well, folks, the good old days are here. The prophecies which were made several centuries, thousand years ago, are being fulfilled. And God has called this generation, this people, this time to meet the needs, to fulfill the issues, to tackle the problems. This is the generation, and we are called to step up to the plate. I want to invite our worship team to come forward and those who are part of our ministry prayer team. And those who are part of our prayer team will be over to our left side of the sanctuary. And if you have any needs, concerns, anything you need prayed for, they're going to be there to minister to you. I want to invite you to stand. And when all around us, you know, seems like bad news, we're the people who have good news. When all around us seems like the causes are lost, we serve a God who is the God of lost causes. And when others are giving up, we don't give up. And it's not because we trust in people. We don't. We trust in God's promises. This is established by grace. And so because of this, we live in this. The Bible says that at the end times, the hearts of people will grow cold. And have you seen that today? The hearts of people growing cold, more callous. But you know what that says to me? Don't be a thermometer, be a thermostat. As the hearts of people are growing cold, then let's turn up the heat of love. Can we do that? Can we be a light of love when we see the ministries like Angel Tree going on and we bring the families in who are hurting and we love them and we care for them? That's awesome then we take that outreach and we turn it into an outpost. And we say, we're going to continue to love you more. We're going to raise the thermostat of love. We're going to care for people, not because we've got it together, but because God's promises are going to be fulfilled. 
Are you that person who feels like you want to give up? Circumstances are so bad, so tough. You don't need to because God's promises are greater and more powerful than those circumstances you're facing right now. So as we prepare to worship again, I want us to read this closing section of Romans chapter 11, this doxology of praise to the greatness of our God. We have it by the way of the screen, and let's read that together. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.